Good evening. This evening's scripture is, well, this afternoon, sorry. Scripture is John chapter 13, verses 31 through 38. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, you will lay down your life for me. Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, good evening to each one. Good evening. My name is Gary. My lovely wife, Denise, and I serve on the direction team here at Redemption Tucson, and it's our honor and joy to serve in that capacity, and it is my joy and honor to be with you tonight sharing from the Lord's Word. So let me pray for us, and we'll dive right in. Let's pray. Our loving Lord, as we look at your word tonight, we pray that you would show up. You would show up and speak powerfully. You would illumine our hearts that there would be a transforming moment tonight as we seek to understand your new commandment. Please do this, Lord, for your glory and for our good, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Ten years from now. Ten years from now. Barring the Lord doesn't come back between now and then. Ten years and now, barring any catastrophic circumstances. What will Redemption Tucson be famous for? What will the reputation of Redemption Tucson be in this city? Our reputation among our brothers and sisters here in town. Our reputation to outsiders. What will we be famous for 10 years from now? Will it be our gospel-centered preaching? Will it be our passion for kingdom justice, racial reconciliation, 
a passion for a leadership culture that's healthy? Will it be for economic, ethnic diversity, a passion to see people come to know Jesus Christ, a church where women as well as men can serve in visible roles of leadership? What will we be famous for? It's a great list. But there's something in our text tonight that strikes very closely at the heart of God concerning what a church's good reputation should be. And it might surprise us. Let's dive into the text and see where we've been thus far. And I will throw in some necessary thunder effects (laughs) throughout the sermon. Last week, Dave shared with us the betrayal of Jesus that Judas did to our Lord. And we've got to put ourselves in that moment. This was a sad moment, very sad. Our Lord was heartbroken, I am sure. He leaves the room. Judas leaves the room. And then Jesus, in these verses that we're considering this evening, tells his disciples what he's going to be doing in the very near future. Now, as is sometimes the case in the Gospel of John, the words that Jesus used are kind of plain, but they're kind of profound and not always clear. And that is precisely the case in the verses that we're looking at. Thankfully, we have the benefit of knowing how the story ends. We have a completed New Testament that's full of detail for how the mission of Jesus will play out. And so what I want to do is I want to draw all of that, bring all of that to bear on these verses, but I also want to focus in on this new commandment because it has such enduring significance for us. So let me just give a broad 30,000-foot summary of what's going on. And if you have that slide of those verses, go ahead and pop that up if you would, please. In verses 31 through 32, here is in effect what Jesus is saying. God is about to pull off the greatest plan of all time. And in that process, he's going to bring great honor to Jesus. That's what the glorification language means, is Jesus will be brought to a place of great, great honor. But oddly, this is a process that involves betrayal. It involves his arrest. It involves his suffering. It involves his death. It involves his resurrection. And it involves his ascension to the right hand of God. All of that is compacted in verse 31 and 32. And you imagine us as disciples kind of sitting there going, uh huh, okay. Verse 33, then Jesus says he's going to go to heaven in a Fact and not so many words. Okay, you're a disciple right now, and, and Jesus says, I'm going somewhere and you can't come. 
okay, uh, right then and there, you, you know, you're just, oh, okay, wait a minute. What did you just say? And then, what I'd like for you guys to do in the meantime, get Nebuchadnezzar paraphrase, Jesus is saying, I want you all to love one another. When you do this, people will know you're my follower. Now, you're a disciple there, and you're listening, and you're kind of not sure you, what you've just heard. Peter, being the guy he was, this went way over his head. No, 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 no. We see from verses 36 and 38 that Peter had no idea what Jesus was talking about. And basically, Peter gives some empty promises to the Lord which he cannot fulfill. He cannot fulfill them because he is not yet indwelled with the Holy Spirit. John 7, 39 says that the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Peter, you got 30 more years of life left in you yet, buddy, but you're not ready to lay your life down yet. I got more work I want to do with you. So here we are. Uh, and, and, and we can be so super critical of Peter and the disciples. You guys, you should have gotten it. But think of it. Put ourselves in their shoes that night. The new commandment just probably flew over their heads because their best friend, the Messiah, the one who loved them and spent three years with them, pouring out his life to them. They watched him perform miracles. They saw him stump the religious leaders of the day with his biblical wisdom, his prophetic authority. And now he's leaving? New commandment? What's that? Jesus, you're leaving. Someone who loves us is getting ready to leave, and you're telling us to love in your absence? Well, we know that Jesus told the disciples earlier in his ministry that he would be dying, he, that he would be crucified. But I imagine in that moment, there was a lot of emotional avoiding going on. We just don't want to think about this right now. So that's, that's the 30,000 quick, fast interpretation of what's going on there. But let's, let's drill deeper into verse 34 and 35, the new commandment. Verse 34, Jesus says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Jesus is commissioning these men to be his representatives in his absence. And you will represent me best when you love one another well. This is the first time in the New Testament where the command to love one another is given. We will see it tw some 20 other times in the New Testament. Jesus will reiterate it in his farewell speech in chapter 14 and chapter 15. And the apostle John, who was there that night, who was also the author of this gospel, he is going to write three additional letters, in addition to the book of Revelation, 
he is going to write in his first epistle a lot more about this new commandment. So, in one sense, the commandment isn't completely new because the Old Testament law had said in Leviticus 19, 17, and 18 to love your neighbor as yourself. But there's something intriguing about the new commandment that we will see in just a moment that makes it new. Look at the second part of verse 34. Jesus says, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. How did he love them up to this moment? How did Jesus love his disciples up to this moment? Well, he spent time with them. He prayed for them. He developed this deep, significant friendship with them. He spoke truthfully into their lives. But ultimately, his love, this is very interesting for all you Greek scholars out there, the, the verb tense here seems to be past, but it's actually something that can anticipate the future as well. Ultimately, his love for the disciples will be seen in his willingness to die for them, die for them so that they could live. This laying down of his life for his disciples is something we get clues of throughout the Gospel of John. Some seven times in John's Gospel, this laying down of your life language is used. John, uh, in uh, John 10, verse 27, uh, says, this is Jesus speaking. And by the way, if there's an emergency to happen, everybody run for the door. Uh, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Later, Jesus will say, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his disciples. The apostle John in his letter says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Why would Jesus lay down his life? I think most of us know that, but it's worth kind of going over some familiar ground. Jesus is the great shepherd. And like good shepherds in antiquity and good shepherds today, he realizes that there are mortal dangers out there for which the sheep need to be protected. Predators wolves, thieves, robbers who come to kill and destroy. The great shepherd laid down his life to deliver us from a multitude of dangers. We need to be delivered from this thing theologians call moral corruption, this disease of self-focus that holds us in bondage to sin. We need to be delivered from that. Jesus laid down his life for us for that. 
But also the Bible says that there's a judicial declaration that God has made that apart from Christ, all will be eternally separated. Jesus died so that we wouldn't have to be eternally separated from him. He laid down his life for that. But also there's this arch enemy of the human soul known as Satan. The apostle John tells us in his letter that the Son of Man, Jesus appeared to destroy the works of Satan. And ultimately, the great shepherd will deliver us from sin, its very presence. This is great love. This is magnificent love. It's love that is beyond words. Jesus lays down his life for us. And this incredible display of love serves as our motivation and our model for laying down our lives for one another. I love how the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 15, uh, Christ died for all that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but on behalf of him who died for them. And the idea here is this regarding the newness of the new commandment. What makes the new commandment new is that it is a laying down of your life kind of commandment. The kind of love that Jesus is talking about is sacrificial love. It's a choice. Can it involve emotions? Sure can. But what Jesus and the other New Testament authors are talking about when they speak of love is a choice. It is an action. It is a sacrificial action that seeks the benefit of others. Love consists of sacrificial actions that we do for someone else in the family of God. And brothers and sisters, this is costly love. It is costly love. Notice verse 35. Jesus says that when you love one another sacrificially, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This kind of love can be very compelling to outsiders. It underscores the reality that there is a loving God and he is showing up among his people. What those people have, I want. This love is supernatural in character. We're not going to be able to pull this off on our own. I'm just going to try a little harder to love. Mm -mm. Ain't going to happen. Jesus will a little later on in the farewell discourse say, without me, you can't do a thing. This intimates or this suggests that this is a radical dependency upon the Holy Spirit that's necessary. If we're going to love sacrificially, we're going to need some supernatural help. Amen. The Apostle John, in his letter of 1 John, unpacks this new commandment a little bit further for us. Notice, um, and you can put the slide up for 1 John 4, 12, 13. 
No one has ever seen God. Sounds a lot like John 1.18. Almost the same words. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his Holy Spirit. I like the way that John Stott explains this verse in 1 John 4. Stott says, The unseen God who was revealed in his Son is now revealed in his people if and when they love one another. God's love is seen in their love because their love is imparted to them by his Spirit. When we're loving one another sacrificially, people can actually see God. This is fascinating. This is, this is ext- you know, somebody walks in our door, somebody spends time with us. They go, man, those folks at Redemption Tucson, they, they're pretty serious about this loving one another stuff. wonder if there really is a God who's a loving God. Our love for one another is an evidence of God's presence in the world. Let me land the airplane. The flight's been bumpy. We've actually had some rain and thunder. <laughs> hey, y'all, we're, we're part of a big family. Brothers and sisters of the Lord, it's a big family. Starts out with those we love the dearest, our spouses, our children, our family members. For those of us who aren't married, it's your best Christian friends in the whole wide world. But then it extends beyond that. It's the other Christians that are sitting beside you and in front of you and behind you. It's the folks who couldn't be here today that are watching this on YouTube. It's the other Christians who live in Tucson. The other Christians who live in the state of Arizona. The other Christians who live in the United States, the other Christians who live throughout the world. It's a big family. (laughs) It's a big family. In light of Jesus' new commandment, here is a question that we have to ask ourselves. What are we willing to give up so that our brothers and sisters in Christ may live, mature in their faith, and flourish. This is Christian love. It's giving up something so that our brothers and sisters may gain. What are we willing to sacrifice so that our brothers and sisters can continue to represent Christ and carry out his mission in the world? What are we giving up that our brothers and sisters might gain? Now, something we had to kind of take a pause here and throw in a footnote. In the first century, in the earliest centuries of the church, Christians were definitely in the minority and persecuted, and they had to depend on one another to survive. Less or so the case here in the United States though this reality is very, I'm sure, 
upfront and personal, maybe even in Afghanistan. Our brothers and sisters there today may be giving up their lives so their other brothers and sisters can live. The Apostle John recognized that sacrificial love didn't necessarily mean that we were going to have to die for one another. That's a reality that was very much present in his day. But there's something more immediate and practical that he sees is a part of this sacrificial love. And he spells this out in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 through 18. Notice this scripture. By this we know love that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods... By the way, interesting little phrase, world good, world's goods. What it means, the first century context is resources, money, food and clothing, property, stuff. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. The Apostle John is saying, hey, talk is cheap. Empty promises don't cut it. Christian love involves action. It involves sacrifice. Now, let me say this to y'all, and I, I, hope you, I hope you appreciate what I'm about to say, but don't, don't misunderstand me. It is really easy to love people you like, isn't it? Yeah. It is easy to love our brothers and sisters that we really like. It's a little tougher when there are brothers and sisters in our lives who are kind of annoying um, and test our patience, kind of like I am with you guys sometimes. Um, it's a little tougher. But there's something happens in our churches, too, that we have to talk about. There are brothers and sisters in our family who are stubbornly proud and self-focused. And at times, they may relate to us very harshly. They may exhibit neglect and indifference toward us. They may take advantage of us. They may even be abusive. It might be a spouse. It might be a family member. It might be someone who you know and respect. Could be a Christian leader. Could be a pastor. Keeping the new commandment in those instances becomes more challenging. I want to say this. If any of us find ourselves in that place where there's a brother or sister that's really, really, really difficult to love, please reach out to one of the pastors. Please 
talk to someone you respect. This kind of love requires a wisdom beyond ourselves. I realize this too, that many of you sitting here tonight are already laying down your lives for your brothers and sisters. I'm thinking of young parents, (laughs) young parents 24-7 on duty, laying down your lives for your kids. I think the Lord knows that. And I, I realize that there are seasons of life where we realize priorities need to lie where priorities need to lie. But regardless of where you're at, develop an alertness to where needs are and a willingness. If you can't do it yourself, bring somebody else to a situation where, hey, you know, I noticed that so-and-so has some real needs. Is there anything we can do about it? Be aware of practical need. I will say this too, brothers and sisters, carrying out the new covenant at times can be very painful and very inconvenient and something that we may not enjoy doing. And sometimes, maybe a lot of times, we don't get our cotton-picking thing back in return when we love people. And by the way, We don't love people so we can get warm, fuzzy feelings. Oh, I felt so good when I loved. No, that can be something that happens. But we want to love because Jesus modeled this. And we want to do things in the power of the Holy Spirit that require us stepping outside of our comfort Zones. I will say this at the risk of sounding contradictory. (laughs) When we love sacrificially, something mysterious does happen. There's a mysterious, profound joy that often attends this kind of sacrificial loving. To wrap things up, What will Redemption Tucson be famous for 10 years from now? What will Redemption Tucson be famous for a year from now? Depends on a number of things, doesn't it? It's my prayer and my desire that Redemption Tucson would be famous as a church that demonstrates sacrificial love. People will see us and go, there must be a God. Tertullian was a third century theologian. And he wrote a very lengthy book called The Apologeticus. And in it, he gave a number of arguments that established the reliability of Christianity. He said one of the most powerful arguments for the existence of God is when God's people love one another sacrificially. Tertullian wrote in chapter 39 of the Apologeticus, it is mainly the deeds of love so noble that lead so many unbelievers to put a brand upon us. 
they say, see, see how they love one another and how they are ready even to die for one another. All of us face challenges when it comes to carrying out the new commandment, don't we? All of us do, to some degree. It could be selfishness. We we just don't want to step outside of our comfort zone. Or it could be fear. If I start loving sacrificially, then this person will start to take advantage of me. Or maybe it's pride. Well, those folks there don't quite deserve my love. Or maybe it's impatience. When you get your act together, then I'll start loving you. Or maybe it's we've been hurt, physically, emotionally, or psychologically abused by someone who claims the name of Christian. Whatever makes loving one another difficult, we can be assured tonight, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the great and precious promises of the gospel, and through the power of a spirit-led community, we can love more tomorrow. We can love sacrificially more tomorrow than we are today. May it be said of redemption Tucson, see see how they love one another, how they are ready even to die for one another. Let's pray. Our loving Lord, um, we want to want to keep your new commandment. And uh, Lord, we realize that some of our brothers and sisters are really easy to love and some not so easy and some very, very, very difficult. Lord, have your way with us. Whatever is getting in the way of us loving as you love, begin a transformative work in us. And will you give us a good reputation in this city as a church that loves deeply and sacrificially for one another? Please, Lord, do this to make your name famous in Tucson, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.